This webinar recording is brought to you by Islam and Liberty Network. If you are looking for more, you can find it on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. And Abul Ahra Ramispur is a well-known Afghan libertarian, peace and human rights activist. He is currently the human rights officer at the United Nations Assistance Mission in Afghanistan and a member of the Pugwash Council. He is a former lecturer at Sharia Faculty of Kabul University and the founder of Afghanistan Economic and Illegal Studies Organization. Ramis Poor pursued his postgraduate studies on good governance and Sharia in Birmingham University at the United Kingdom in 2005 and on international human rights law at Nottingham University in 2010. Our host today is Ali Salman and I will help ask questions. The topic is, is Sharia law compatible with a free society? We requested Ramis Poor to speak on this topic because of his background and expertise. When he wrote forward for this book called Islamic Foundations of a Free Society, which was published by IEA, comprising many of the papers uh, which were presented in Islamic Liberty, formerly known Istanbul Network Conferences. He wrote that the legal and juridical principles of Islamic law recognize individual freedom and rights, along with the responsibilities of individuals in the society that provided an appropriate context for an independent judiciary and the defense of individual rights through the courts. And he wrote that Islam insists on freedom of movement and in principle does not recognize boundaries between Islamic societies. And Islam shared its characteristics with other progressive legal systems and religions in the world. And it has also promoted business and trade with all non-Muslims. Essentially saying that um, Islam and Sharia has always historically seemed compatible with the free society. Obviously, this is uh, not uh, matched by the common perception today. And uh, I'm now handing over the microphone to our guest. Over to you, Ramizpur, now. By the name of God, good afternoon, everybody. For those uh, they are in our time zone, and I'm sure some colleagues, they are living in other time zone, good evening for them. This is a great honor for me that uh, on behalf of Istanbul Network for Liberty, as a, one of the founders of the Istanbul Network for Liberty, and also on behalf of Afghanistan Economic and Legal Studies Organization, the winner of South Asia Liberty Forum Prize 2018. And also based on my experiences, as you mentioned, as a lecturer at Kabul University Sharia Faculty, uh, today I am here and I would like to raise some points regarding compatibility of uh, Sharia with free society. Uh, at the beginning of my points, I would like to draw your attention for uh, definition of uh, free society and uh, similarly to the definition of Sharia. And then we will seek to find out any comparative analysis between the elements of free society according to our definitions and also in, within in, in Sharia. Uh, as we know all, based on our studies and facts and books and mainly our studies, the great uh, philosophy of uh, French uh, Henry Bregson and also Australian scholar uh, Karl Popper, uh, both of them somehow defined civil society as a, as a society. The government should be very transparent and uh, every individual should have the right to express herself or himself in society. And mechanism of reaching to power in such society should not be based on violence and dictatorship, but it should be based on uh, uh, willingness of people and consent of everybody. And three societies are somehow uh, opposing to the closed society. When we know the closed society, indeed, we can identify what should be a free society. In a free society, there should be circles out of the influence of the government, like the circles of civil society, media, free speech, freedom of expression, free trade, free businesses, and also uh, opportunity for individuals to express their belief, their opinion, without any pressure, without any influence by the government. Then we have to look on the definition of Sharia, what Sharia means. Sharia is a component of orders, provisions, and also prohibitions, which somehow issued by God or by his prophet, peace be upon him, according to Islamic Sharia. Uh, 
if you look deeply to the definition of Sharia and the concept of Sharia, it has two pillars. One pillar, which we call that function of Sharia, uh, which in Arabic we call that al-ahkam al-usuliya or al-ahkam al-asliya, that is the theologic part of the Sharia, like believe on God, on angels, on the holy books, on the day after this world. Uh, all these things a Muslim should leave on that. We are not going to talk on the theological part of Sharia. The second part, the second pillar of Sharia is practical part of Islamic Sharia, which is known by Islamic jurisprudence, or in Arabic, we call it fiqh. Beside of fiqh as a knowledge, as a practical knowledge or a legal knowledge of Islamic Sharia, which is very important for us to understand a little bit on it, since it has close supportive rule for market economy, for forces, free society uh, concept. There are also two other subjects supporting Islamic jurisprudence. One is Islamic jurisprudence principles, and the second is the knowledge of foundation of Islamic jurisprudence, which in Arabic we call that ilmul usul, usulul fiqh. In the first is qawaid al-kuliya al-fiqhiya. Uh, these two subjects also are very important, significantly, and very supportive for better understanding of Islamic Sharia. There is no doubt that Islamic jurisprudence plays a very significant role in all Islamic societies, Islamic countries, in their national legislations, starting from constitution, civil court, criminal court, and other complementary national legislations for each of the Islamic countries. Afghanistan is a good example of that. Later on, I will come on that. The knowledge of Islamic Sharia somehow based on uh, some specific issues that uh, somehow make it uh, unique comparatively to other knowledges or to other uh, religion, uh, religious knowledges. This knowledge or Sharia knowledge somehow based on four main uh, resources. The four main resources uh, that somehow uh, get the, the, the agreement of all main Islamic school of thoughts. In these uh, uh, four sources are Quran, the holy book of uh, Muslim, in Sunnah, the act of Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, he did or other people did front of him, he recognized those actions of people or rejected those actions. What he said, what other people did front of him, or what he did and other people saw that and then reported generation to generation up to date. In the third resource is consensus, which we call in Arabic ijma, agreement of Islamic scholars in a particular time on a certain issue. In the fourth resource is qiyas or logic. Logic is very important because all Islamic school of thoughts somehow has this source. And there are also some other sources which agreed between one or two school of thoughts, not generally accepted by the all uh, four Sunni sects in uh, others. We call these uh, sources like istishab uh, al comparing some actions done in the past to the current similar action by transforming the, the, the provisions of the past incident to the current, and another source is Tehsan, which is very important in Sunni school, particularly in terms of businesses and trade, since it's mainly based on tradition and customary. And also the source, which is this source, rely on that, that's the logic and that's the, uh, the reason of humankind. In the third is Al-Masalihul Mursala, the good things somehow identified by Islamic jurists, and you should follow those good things. And also Sadhu Zarai in, other, in some other sources, which is not so popular or so agreed by other scholars. However, the jurisprudence knowledge of Islamic Sharia covers all parts of human life in Islamic society. When a person in Islamic society wake up in the morning from sleeping up to his going back to bed at the midnight, any single act he or she doing during the day or night, it's not out of one of Islamic provisions. And that's why Islamic jurisprudence somehow covers all the actions of humankind in Islamic society. Islamic jurisprudence somehow covers four main 
parts or four main subjects. Praying of humankind in Islamic society is the main chapter in Islamic jurisprudence, which we are not going to talk on that. The second part is covering the personal status of a person in Islamic society, which we call that al-ahwal al-shakhsiya, like marriage, divorce, inheritance, etc. In the third part, which is very important according to our aim or our uh, promotion uh, values, is the ma'amilat. The ma'amilat means dealing or different types of uh, contract or deals, uh, which in Muslim society or Islamic society uh, doing by uh, Muslims, with Muslims or with non-Muslims. In the fourth part of Islamic jurisprudence covers punishments and crimes. Now we have to look uh, where is the, uh, the position or the stage of free society values in Islamic Sharia. We identified the main elements of free society like individualism, freedom of expression, freedom of belief, freedom of uh, economic activities, pluralism, uh, pluralism, diversity, rule of law. Let's see, do we have this kind similar values or similar foundations, provisions in Islamic Sharia or not? One is the practical approach when we review the Islam history, we see, as I mentioned in the beginning of the Free Society Foundation Islam book, that uh, the golden time of Islam, particularly in 7th century, 8th century, 9th, even 10th century, show that uh, good relation of Muslim communities with non-Muslim, trade between Muslim and non-Muslim communities, freedom of uh, speech, different uh, circles of knowledge or studying among uh, Muslim communities, particularly Baghdad was the big center of uh, exchange of education in the interpretation of knowledge from Western societies to, Islam, uh, to Islamic uh, society. That is a historical point, but based on the, uh, what we have in Sharia sources like Quran and Hadith and Ijma and Qiyas, in other sources of Islamic jurisprudence, do we have uh, some credible uh, arguments, some credible foundations for a free society or not? We have to look to the, to the uh, historical points and to the sources once again. First of all, we have to start from individualism. Individualism, which is very important in a free society, and every individual should have the right to express her or him in, in, in a society. In Islam, it exists, and uh, it mentioned in the Holy Quran, despite the Muslim community calling in Islam, in Quran, in Sunnah, as a community, as Ummah, Ummatul Islamiyya. But at the end of the time, in the next world, the punishment, and accountability with, we are with individuals, not with, with collective uh, community. Everybody should report on what he did in this world, in what he did for the benefit of the society. There are verses of Quran which shows that at the end of the time, in another world, a Muslim would believe on restoration of their life and giving uh, her or his account in front of God. Uh, uh, the, the verses of Quran says, even in a very single issue, in a very minor issue of what a Muslim committed in, in this world will be counted, and he or she will be punished or will be receive prize on that. That is important. And also there are verses in Quran that says that everybody is independently should act and should will not uh, uh, somehow condemn or should not be taken uh, instead of an individual who committed some crime or something, which we are calling that individuality of punishment in crimes, which has a very strong foundation in Islamic jurisprudence. It's somehow transferred right now in all Islamic societies, national legislation. The perception of innocent, which is also another principle of Islamic law, it exists all also in, in national legislations, and also it somehow affected on international treaties, which we have in several political rights uh, convention, in other convention of human rights. If you go to the place and stage of reason or rationalism in Islam, which is very important in a free society, beside of that uh, Islam is somehow based on Quran, on divine, in the prophet uh, actions, in prophet speech, other people did something in front of prophet and prophet recognized or rejected that. 
But besides that, the reason has a very highest stage in Islamic uh, Sharia, particularly in Hanafi school, which is known by the school of Rai, is one of the main schools of the Sunni schools, which based on Rai, Rai, I mean reason or, or vision or view of, 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 of people. Abu Hanif, the founder of uh, uh, one of the very important Sunni school of thought, uh, Hanafi school of thought, he somehow emphasized on the rule of reason on extracting the orders and provisions from the main source of, of Islam, like Quran, uh, like Quran and, and also based on the tradition and customary. He was comparing the customary and tradition according to the ongoing situation of the society, and he was adopting many orders and provisions in his jurisprudence uh, particular school. In this regard, as I mentioned before, the principles of jurisprudence is very clear. It says everything ordered by jurisprudence, by Sharia, the same thing could be ordered also by reason, by human reason. In everything ordered by reason, by human reason, it is uh, uh, similarly could be ordered also by Sharia. It shows a kind of equality between reason and between uh, uh, Sharia as a source, as a main source of Sharia. As one of the sources I mentioned before in Islamic schools was Estehsan. Estehsan is totally based on tradition in who has the right to identify the best Estehsan. He is an Islamic jurist and he is doing this operation based on his reason, based on his mind and logic. The third issue, which is very important in a civil society, is the uh, evolve of law by the time and by the place. Uh, as we know, then legislations, constitutions, uh, regulations should be developed by the time and uh, comparatively get some progress due to the moving of time and due to the moving or due to the change of the place. In Islamic jurisprudence principles, there is a very clear principle that says, La yunkaru ta'girul ahkami bitagirul zamani wal makan. It means it's not, it is not avoidable to change the provisions due to the change of time and due to the change of place. It means that the law and regulations and legislations, all of them are changeable due to the change of time, due to the change of place. For instance, Abu Hanifa, one of the main founder of Sunni schools, he established his school of thought in Iraq, in Kufa. Why he established his school there? in why he somehow uh, focused too much on Raya, on, on his own view, without considering too much on Hadith. The reason was that Iraq in that time was a big center of trade and exchange with other nations, Muslim and non-Muslim, particularly Khurasan, India, and in the north part, like Azerbaijan and others located in that region. Uh, Abu Hanifa, since he was a businessman, since he had trade relations with other communities, with other people, he studied the tradition of that society. He tried to use his reason, his mind, instead of focusing or relying too much on Hadith. And he could develop the provisions based on the place he lived on that and based on the time he stayed in that specific period. In opposite of this, Imam Malik bin Anas, who is, the, who is known as the founder of Maktab or school of Hadith, he was born in Medina, the center of Hadith, the center of Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, companions. The center of Hadith was Medina, since many people immigrated from Mecca to Medina in, in their way discussion on Hadith, what Prophet said, what Prophet did. Malik based a school of thought on, on Hadith, since uh, it was very accessible for him uh, to reach people, to reach individuals and get uh, hadith and, uh, and uh, rely on that and also uh, make his uh, school of thought based on hadith. At Abu Hanifa, since he was too far from Medina, he established his school of thought based on Rai, based on reason, and he, was, he succeeded on that. In this case, uh, Hanafi school of thought, and also most of the Sunni school of thought, they believe that. The time, the change of time, the change of place, in Arabic they are saying bi'ah, or environment, it affects on, uh, to, to develop 
the laws and regulations time to time. In a free society, we should not stack with one law, with one regulation all the time, since the Sharia uh, has this authorization to Islamic jurists and to the legal institutions to adopt new laws which should be fit for the society, for the individual's rights. Another point which is important in civil and free society is freedom of expression and freedom of belief. According to very obvious verses of Quran, no one should be forced to accept Islam. Binding to Islam should be in uh, will of a person and also in consent of person. No one should force someone to make him uh, Muslim or make him to go out of uh, Islam or to go out of any religion. Also, in terms of freedom of expression, it's very clearly mentioned in Prophet Hadith. He says, tell the truth. Well, uh, tell the truth. Uh, uh, if it can also, if it if it is also so so hard, since it's Arabic, I'm very sorry for that translation. Tell the truth, despite it's too hard, it's too difficult. It means no one should hide in anything in the society. Everyone should have the right to uh, express what he see in the society, what he wants to say, without any censorship, self-censorship, or government censorship, etc. And also, the verses of Quran are very clear in this. Many verses. One of the verses of Quran says, "Don't hate the reality, and you have to express the reality." Walatalbisul Hakka. And also, in the in the in the Khalifa time, when we go back to the time of Omar, the second Khalifa of Islam. One day he was talking on, on the mosque and someone of the audiences, he uh, stood and he asked, why your clothes is too long and our clothes are very short? The Khalifa answered to the question of that individual, despite that he was a very tough guy. He said, look, my share from, from Bodhi, from which Muslims collected during the jihad from non-Muslims, it was just a little part of a, a textile or a mills, and then I asked my son to give me his share, and he gives me his share, and then I added that, and in, in now my clothes looks quite long. It was the response of the Khalifa of Islam, an ordinary person who asked him a question. It shows that the freedom of speech was allowed in the first uh, time, in the initial time of Islam, even from the Khalifa. The, uh, the issue of pluralism and also diversity is very important in Islamic Sharia. Islam is very clear on that. Islam says in Quran, and appreciate those people, they are listening to other, uh, uh, other people's uh, speeches or points or what this they are saying or what they're representing. And a good Muslim is someone who have to select the best speech or the best point for his practice. Quran says, فَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَهُ Appreciating the, 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 the people who are listening to diverse opinions and selecting one of the best points. It means in a free society in, based on Sharia, there should be diversity. There should be diverse opinions. There should be diverse ideas expressing among community, among people. And then a Muslim can select one which should be for his best will or for his best uh, practice. It's, it, it is allowed for a Muslim to listen to others and to select. The reality of Islam golden time also showed that there were certain diverse circles of studying at the same time. Second century, of, according to the solar years, according to our system, it's 7th uh, century, 8th century, 9th century. Three centuries. We are Muslim jurists like Abu Hanifa, like Shafi'i, like Dawood Zahiri, like Tibari, like Imam Muhammad, like other Islamic jurists. They were living together. They established their school of thoughts without uh, harming each other, without destroying each other. Uh, some of the students of one scholar at the same time studied from other scholars. It was it true, a great diversity at the same time among Islamic jurists. Even in Hanafi school, it comprised of ideas of four very well-known jurists, Imam uh, Muhammad ibn Hassan Shibani, Imam Abu Hanifa as the leader of this school of thought, Imam Zufar as another colleague of them, and Imam Abu Yusuf. Now when we are calling Hanafi school, 
even for their own point of view, you can take each of the point of view, each of the provisions adopted by one of these juries, that is fine. You can call yourself as a Hanafi follower. There, despite the diverse ideas exist already among the provisions adopted by these jurists. At the same time, if you look to Imam Shafi'i, if you look to Ahmad ibn Hanbal, if you look to Malik ibn Anas, let's, let's talk on Malik ibn Anas. Malik ibn Anas adopted his school of thought, his school of hadith, which based, as I mentioned, on hadith in Quran in Medina. In the second, in the, in the eighth century, when the, the time Khalifa Abu Mansur, he went for Hajj to Medina, he met Malik ibn Anas. Malik ibn Anas was in the very elderly age. He asked him, he discussed with him, if Malik ibn Anas wants, the Khalifa is ready to force all the Islamic nations to obey the school of Malik ibn Anas. It means the Hadith school. But Malik ibn Anas rejected Khalifa's point of view and said, look, every nation, every community in the current Islamic uh, time, every, every community has its own uh, somehow religious leader or its own jurist. Don't touch to these communities. Leave them on their own situation. Every nation can obey their own jurist or their own uh, religious leader. Once again, when a few years back, Abu Mansur uh, going back to Hajj, again met with Mansur in Mansur, uh, sorry, with Malik, in Malik was, Malik ibn Anas was in very, in very elderly age. Again, he asked Malik, if you want, I can force the all Islamic nation to obey your school of thought. But Malik ibn Anas rejected once again. It means even the Islamic jurists at that time, they had, they recognized this kind of diversity and they wanted every nation to follow their own leaders. It shows a big diversity in Islamic society at that time. Let's come back to the Islamic, to the one of the very important issue in free society, which is trade and businesses. Fortunately, Islamic jurisprudence is very rich in this part. It's very rich in terms of definition, in terms of explanation of different types of deals in a society within the Islamic Sharia, with, within the Islamic community and with non-Muslim societies. This trade in businesses at the golden age of Islam was the main cause for extending Islam to other nations, to other parts of the world. The Islamic jurisprudence principles are very, very clear in this regard and has a very nice provisions, which I just selected a few provisions for better understanding of the Islamic jurisprudence position in regard of trade and businesses. These provisions already exist in Kitab al-Mujalla, in the book of al-Mujalla al-Adliya. Al-Mujalla al-Adliya, this is a book adopted during the Ottoman Empire by Sultan Abdul Hamid. It has 1,851 articles. In the first 99 articles are uh, reflecting somehow the Islamic jurisprudence principles. In the book, I'm sure accessible, maybe it translated also in English or different uh, languages. One of the main provisions of this uh, 99 provisions, which developed by the time, by particularly by Hanafi school, at the beginning it adopted by Shafi school and later on developed by other uh, Islamic jurists, particularly in Hanafi school. But we can find these principles in Maliki school, in Shafi school, in Hanafi school. In Hanafi school. One of the provisions says, for instance, Al-Marufu Orfan Kalmashruti Shartan. Al-Maruf, which became well-known in the society, like tradition. Uh, Al-Maruf orphan, the things become well-known in a society through the tra tradition. This is similar to something conditioned uh, between people. It, it shows that the value in the stage of orf, of tradition, of customary law in the society, and respect the customary law, which many of the trade and business procedures at the beginning I was talking on provisions on Islamic jurisprudence that particularly focusing on, on trade and businesses, which has a very, very important uh, rule in Islamic jurisprudence. I started by Al-Maruf Orfan in the second provision, which is important. It says, Al-Maruf bain al-Tudari kal-Mashruti bainahum. The things become well-known among the business community. It is the same 
or similar to things conditioned between or among business or trader community. It, it, it shows again the highest respect to the tradition and to the custom, customary law between uh, business community. Another provision says, that things selected or, 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 or chosen by orf, by tradition, these are the same thing somehow selected or chosen by nas. Nas means text, text of Holy Quran, text of Hadith, or other provisions adopted in Islamic books based on ijma and consensus and also logic. It means that the orf, the trading orf or the business orf or business tradition has a very high stage in Islamic jurisprudence and recognized by Islamic jurists in, in the past. If still it has its validity. Another provision says Al-Kitabu Kal-Khitabi. Al-Kitabu Kal-Khitab, uh, it shows a kind of approach of business community using the current modern facilities like internet. It means uh, that a businessman, as it was in the past, the only way to talk face to face and to handle the deal with the opposite side, he or she as a businessman can do the same act through the modern facilities like internet, like sending a letter or communicating through other modern facilities. All these provisions with colleagues asking me on references uh, are mentioned in the first uh, part of Al-Kitab Al-Mujallat Al-Ahkam Al-Adliyah, the book of Mujalla Al-Adliyah. The Mujalla Al-Adliyah, as I mentioned before, this book somehow adopted or established or created by a group of Islamic jurists, very well-known, among them was Zainal Abuddin Ibn Ibrahim, one of the very well-known Islamic scholars during the Uthman Empire, the last time of Uthman Empire, and the book becomes so well-known among Islamic societies. Still, most of the Islamic societies, including Afghanistan, using this book as a main source for the civil code. In our civil code in Afghanistan, maybe in other societies also, somehow took uh, main parts of this uh, mujalla to the civil code of as a national legislation in this society. These provisions shows the highest value of the tradition in the customary law in terms of trade and businesses. Uh, also, there are a number of other provisions, just I mentioned a few of them for your uh, better understanding. As a reference, you can reach to any library and get this book, Mujallatul Adliya, Mujallatul Ahkam Al Adliya. And the first 99 articles are mainly focusing on these provisions. Uh, also, there is uh, another provision I have uh, to mention this. This is regarding that no one should violate, no one should abuse the property. Even the Sultan, even the Amir, even the President, even a dictator, no one should has right in Islamic society to violate the property of someone. It says, Al-Amru bit-tasarrufi fi milk al-ghayri batilun. If someone orders someone to collect the property of someone else, this is totally abolished in Islamic Sharia. This is this order is not; it doesn't have any validity in Islamic Sharia. No one should order someone to to do any approach or to get others' properties according to Islamic Sharia. This is this is very clear. It's not allowed to anyone to take the property of anyone without any legitimate reason. It's not allowed to anyone to do uh, any legal act in others' property, even he is a sultan or amir, etc. And also, this uh, book of Mujalla focuses on different types of deals, different types of contracts, which are very supportive uh, for the growth of Islamic economy or the economy of a free society, which most of these uh, kind of contracts also mentioned in the book of uh, free society in Islam. We have the type of contract of muzaribat, which someone has the money and he gives the money to someone else to work on that money, uh, to do some business on that money. In both, the owner of the money, the investor, in the person who has to use that investment for some activity, some business or trade activity, they, are, they have the sheer responsibility for benefit and also if they, they couldn't take any benefit. They have to share the benefit and in the non-benefit situation also they have to share the, uh, they have to be the same position. 
and also the deal of shirkat. Shirkat means the, the company, different kinds of companies already identified in Islamic textbooks, different kinds of deals in contracts. In one of the very well-known contract is the salam. Salam means someone has the need, for instance, a farmer need for the seed. He goes to the owner of the land and asks the landlord to give him some seed. And then when he, at the time, the season of the harvest rich, he can give them, for instance, instead of the seed, uh, some level of the, uh, the wheat or something agreed between them. It, it's possible. It's not, count, it's not uh, prohibited in Islam. And also the waqf uh, issue, it's very clear in Islam. This is a kind of showing solidarity with the society, which has a long chapter in Islamic provisions. At the end of uh, my points, I would like to mention some main challenges, which um, challenges for the, uh, the free society in Islamic societies in the contemporary Islamic world. One is uh, very important. The first one is the, a kind of dogmatism or a kind of a, a closed mind of a Muslim community or Muslim individuals, unfortunately, due to the extending of radicalism in most part of Islamic societies, which affected most part of our, our Islamic societies, starting from Libya to Syria to Iraq to Afghanistan to Iran to Pakistan to everywhere. In the second challenge, as it already identified in many speeches by many scholars, that is the closure of the ijtihad, the closure of possibility of Islamic Jews to, uh, to somehow to extract the new rules, the new provisions from the Islamic references, the Islamic resources like Quran and Hadith. This closure of gate of ijtihad happened in 13th century when the Mongols attacked the Islamic uh, uh, center, Baghdad, and the Islamic jurists came together and did a consensus that no one should do ishtihad because the situation is totally changed and there is no people uh, to talk based on justice. For that purpose, they closed this gate. And still, many of the madrasas in the schools in Islamic circles, particularly in, in this region, in South Asia region, like the Deubandi Madrasa, believe on this decision in the 13th century, and they are not allowing Islamic jurists to extract the new provisions or the modern rules from the Islamic resources. In this case, as Karim Surush, one of the great scholars, which I, I, I like him too much, this guy says that we need for the brave Islamic jurists who should break down this condition and should go out and raise their points based on the conditions we already have for ijtihad. Being an ijtihad, a mujtahid, a person who should collect or should uh, extract these uh, provisions from Islamic sources has its own condition. It's very clearly mentioned in the books, in the books of the Islamic uh, Jurisprudence Foundation, Usulul Fiqh, a jurist who has the sufficient and highest capacity on Arabic language because the sources are mainly in, 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 in Arabic language. This is one of the conditions. The ju a jurist who should has full knowledge on uh, on, on, on Quran, not all Quran. It's very clear. There are only 500 or 520 or 27 verses in Quran belong to, to the practical orders in Islamic jurisprudence. A jurist should have knowledge, full knowledge, on the reason of these verses, the reason why it came to Prophet Muhammad, including that those very sensitive issues in terms of Arabic grammar already exist in Quran and Sunnah. And also a jurist who should have the capacity or the knowledge to understand is the hadith. Hadith, indeed, hadith have a lot of books. There are six main books in Sunni school. They are calling Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Bayhaqi, Tirmizi, Ibn Majah, Abi Dawood. These are the six main books. These six books were not exist when Abu Hanifa was alive. This sixth book established later. One of the challenge for hadith is that hadith collected 100 years later after the death or after the departure, holy departure of Prophet of Islam, because collecting of hadith was not allowed during the Prophet time, during the first Khalifat time. It collected, it gathered only 100 letters after the death of Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. And indeed, when you collect the points or the speeches of Prophet 100 later uh, years, it is difficult to collect the real hadith. And that is why most of the jurists 
they were very cautious to identify the right hadith. Abu Hanifa, founder of the school of Ahlul Rai, reason, he was one of those jurists. He hadn't a strong belief on the correctness of hadith because at that time, this hadith book was not collected. And also he had doubt on that. Then he tried to compare his, his vision based on the logic, based on the reason, etc. This is another challenge. In the, these conditions, having knowledge of 527 verses of Quran, having knowledge of hadith, not all hadith because there are six books, 3,000. Around 3,000 hadith of Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, are relevant to the practical provisions of Islamic jurisprudence. And uh, justice, having justice, having good reputation in the society, not committed uh, uh, sins in Islam, that are the conditions. Whoever, as a jurist, has this condition, he can start doing ishtihad. But we need brave uh, jurists who should start this uh, way once again in Islamic societies. The third point, which is very important for us, as I mentioned in the book also in the past, that is the supremacy of Hadith school to Raya, to school of Raya. Abu Hanifa based his knowledge, his jurisprudence on Raya. But right now, most of the, the Islamic circles, they are conditioning somehow studying of Hadith as the main condition for being Islamic jurist, Islamic mufti. Particularly the Deobandi Madrasa, which is affecting our region in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. This is the main condition. Whoever is studying in a Deobandi Madrasa, in the highest stage, he has to complete all these six books of Hadith I mentioned before. He has to complete, he has to study all these six books. Then, it affects to society. When these mullahs, these scholars, graduating and coming to society and playing the role as a judge, as an imam in the mosque, mainly they are focusing on hadith. They are not going back to their own vision to extract provisions from sources. They are going to hadith, even to the very weak, weak hadith. Hadith has different types, strong hadith, weak hadith, well-known hadith. It has a very uh, important knowledge, which called by the name of Mustalil hadith, the knowledge which is uh, introducing uh, or familiarizing a person with hadith since it collected 100 letters after the death of Prophet Muhammad. In my opinion, there are some issues that need for, uh, uh, to, to relook by, by scholars, by civil society activists, by academics. Uh, first of all, are we in the same situation, the Islamic societies were 1,400 years back? In that time, we see there was a line a red line between Muslim community and non-Muslim community, which we are calling that Darul Kufr in Darul Islam, the city of infidels, the city of non-Muslims, the, in the city of Muslims. In that time, the rule was that if a Muslim, if a non-Muslim wanted to enter to Muslim society, he had to get Amman, the safety permission or the safety permit which we call in Arabic Amman, and we call that person Musta'aman, a person who got insurance, safety insurance to enter to Islamic society. In the same, the Muslim, when they enter to the non-Muslim uh, area, they had to negotiate their entrance on advance with the authority of that side. Temporary was this actions, temporary was this formations, not permanently. But right now, in practice, this line totally destroyed. There are Muslims in different parts of the world living together with non-Muslims, with Christians, with Jewish, with Hindus, with Buddhists, with diverse type. This line totally destroyed, but still the followers of Hadith, the followers of the school of Hadith, the extremist groups, the radicalists, the conservatives, still they are thinking that this line is still exists. This line does not exist. Invitation to Islam working in coexistence with non-Muslim communities, this is essential part of the life nowadays. We have to look on this issue once again. Unfortunately, some people still believe on it, particularly movements like Taliban, like ISL, like others, feeling to restore, looking to restore this line once again, which is totally impossible. The second point which have to look on it, that's the 
expanding technology and changing the world as a very small village and change in exchange of trades and businesses among communities in a minute. It's a very easy way to order something from a company and collect that easily a few minutes later or a few hours later. This change of our world, it also needs to relooking for Islamic provisions, how, to, how we can develop these provisions for better coexistence and better development of trade and businesses with others within Muslim society and with non-Muslim societies. Cultural aspects is another issue. Culture is somehow plays a very significant role. Exchange of culture, uh, exchange opportunities between Muslim and non-Muslim as Muslim communities immigrated in the very highest level to non-Muslim societies, then the respect to cultures and diversity of cultures should be somehow promoted in Islamic societies. And that is, this is not prohibited in Islamic Sharia today. Exchange of culture, it's recognized in Islamic Sharia. In the 10th year of the last year, somehow, somehow of Prophet when he was alive in Medina, a group of Christian leaders, Christian community of Najran of Saudi Arabia at that time, came to Prophet Muhammad, brought very uh, valuable gifts to Prophet. Prophet allowed them to stay inside the Medina Mosque, to pray in their own uh, method inside the mosque, and Prophet accepted their gift, and Prophet appreciated them and sent them back. This is a kind of uh, cultural exchange and respecting to other cultures, uh, since culture covers all aspects, religion, arts, uh, legal system, uh, etc. The fourth point is immigration. The white immigration right now happened in Islamic world from Islamic societies, from Islamic countries to non-Muslim countries. Uh, that is another aspect that we need to look once again, how we can make our societies in Islamic countries better place for people to stay and to, to, to pursue their life. A need for education. We need, we need for, for, other, for other communities, for other societies to come to us, to teach our children, to teach our, in our societies, to teach in our universities in Islamic societies. We need for technology. We are very backward in, in technology in Islamic societies. We don't have any uh, achievement in the recent in 100 last years. We need to the Western societies, to non-Muslim societies, to cooperate with Islamic society. There is no pro prohibition in, in Islam to, to gain or to ask for uh, technology from others. Uh, Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, says you have to learn knowledge, you have to get knowledge. If the knowledge is, is seen, uh, seen was a difficult place at that time, you know. Uh, economic development, that's another issue. We need to restore our values. We need to relook to the main resources of Islamic Sharia. We need to restore a new movement in Islamic societies for a better future for the future generations. Uh, thank you so much for your attention. It was the main points just uh, I, I wanted to share with you, colleagues. Uh, if there is any point of view, uh, I welcome, and uh, I will try to, uh, to discuss further if needed. Uh, thank you so much for your attention, for your time. Thanks. Thank you so much, uh, Ramiz Poor, for this uh, excellent uh, presentation of the uh, history of how the Sharia had evolved. Um, and what are, and how you have shown it is perfectly compatible with the institutions of free society. And in your uh, detailed uh, overview, uh, I think you not only have covered uh, the main controversies, uh, the main factors which have led to the stagnancy in the Muslim thought in modern times, but in the end, you have also alluded to several action points, I would say, or what needs to be done. And in that case, you definitely have, uh, I would say, preempted several questions which uh, participants definitely would like to ask. All right, so I'm looking forward to comments and questions from the participants now. Faryal Yayakobi says, Thanks, Mr. Ramizpur, for a great presentation. My question is, do you think there will be jurists in 21st century who will be capable of doing ijtihad? Yes. The condition of being a mujtahid or doing ijtihad, as I mentioned in my points, are very clear. Full knowledge of Arabic on all aspects, on very sensitive points of Arabic grammar, since Quran is, hadith of Prophet, peace be upon him, is in Arabic. 
in other textbooks and sources, mainly are in Arabic. And the second was knowledge on that 527 or 530 verses of Quran. We call the specific term is exist, the reason that why that specific verse came to Prophet, peace be upon him, why? A jurist should know that. Knowledge of 3,000 hadith based on who reported that hadith, how was the situation, the personal character of the, the people who reported that hadith, because as I mentioned, it, it, it collected 100 years later of the depart, holy departure of Prophet. And also a person who should have justice, good reputation in the society, uh, or in the highest stage, in, in having virtue. Virtue also is important for a person who, who express himself as an Islamic jurist and capable for ishtihad. In the communication system, in access to information, which was difficult in the, in the beginning in 7th century, in, in 8th century, in 9th century for Islamic jurists, now is very easy. Access for internet, access to discuss with other Islamic jurists in Islamic world, uh, access to libraries, online libraries. Everything is very easy right now in our world. As I mentioned, the current world, the temporary world is like a village. Uh, but it needs brave jurists who should break down the current deadlock and come out in the scene and, and raise his voice and, and knowledge to others. Fortunately, we have seen some of this kind Islamic jurists, uh, for instance, uh, Shaykh Karzawi uh, or uh, Muhammad Abu Zohra or some others, maybe, uh, uh, ex existed in Islamic world and or uh, still alive, some of them. And they produced very good books, very good fatwas, very good uh, uh, provisions in Islamic jurisprudence, and they enriched the juris, uh, Islamic jurisprudence. For instance, in the past, if you ask it, um, a mullah, a conservative mullah, is it allowed for a woman to appear in TV screen and, uh, and report uh, the news or as a news caster? Uh, uh, mullahs were saying, no, it's not allowed for women. But if you see to the contemporary fatwas of Mullah, they said, yes, women allowed to talk, to work with men together with respect to, to somehow to some values which is important for Islamic societies. It is possible, but it, it needs uh, some brave joys. Wakan Ahmad says, Salam, thank you for your talk. I have a few questions if you can clarify. The first is, what is the relationship between the jurists and the states? This is important. Uh, the relation between jurists and state, uh, this is important. If you look uh, to the history of Islam, uh, sometimes the relation between Islamic jurists and the state runner like Khalifa or like Amir was not good. For instance, Abu Hanifa, the founder of uh, Hanafi school, he had got a problem with, with the time Khalifa. But having good relation of jurists with Khalifa, with the political system, also played a very significant role for expanding the, the, the specific school of thought of those people they had vision. Abu Yusuf, a student of Abu Hanifa, who, who took the, the position of supreme judge of the, in the time of the uh, Khalifa, uh, he played a very significant role for expanding the Hanafi school from the practical aspect through the judiciary system existed at that time. Even it affected up to date. Some of the jurists who couldn't establish good relation with the system or couldn't get followers like Dawood Tibari, like Awza'i, like some others, uh, they couldn't exist at the moment in Islamic societies. Only we can find their theories, their ideas, through the books. The Sunni schools at the beginning, it was around 10 schools of thoughts. Only four schools of thought, Hanafi, Shafi, Hanbali, Maliki, got opportunity uh, to expand uh, time by time and to, to find uh, its own their own uh, followers in Islamic societies. Sometimes, unfortunately, as we see, the jurists, uh, they don't have good relation with, uh, with the system, with the political system. Sometimes they are very conservative. Sometimes uh, they are obeying the, the, the state runner we have seen in Islamic societies, which also it could be affected to the provision, to the legal provision, to fatwas, uh, etc. For instance, up to recent time, uh, no one from religious community in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, 
were not able to say anything against suicide attacks. Just since a few months, there were some gathering of Islamic scholars in Pakistan, in Indonesia, and uh, later on in Kabul, uh, Islamic scholars or mullahs came together and they announced a fatwa against suicide attacks based on Islamic Sharia, which welcomed by Islamic society, but still Taliban and other radical groups didn't agree with this uh, fatwa and they are continuing their fighting against civilians and against uh, people. Wakan Ahmad says, how is it possible to have diverse opinions and implementations when the state's law is supreme? Uh, the state law uh, is important. The state law is significant. The constitutionalism, which we have seen in the past years in Islamic societies, play a very significant role. Each of the Islamic countries is adopted uh, its own constitution. And uh, fortunately, most of the constitution somehow reflect the individual's rights and uh, some perception from Islamic jurisprudence in each of these Islamic countries. I had a research on many of these Islamic countries' constitutions, and I presented that, if colleagues remember, in 2011 in one of the uh, gatherings in Istanbul. And I demonstrated and I proved that uh, all these Islamic constitutions somehow collected the main ideas as the reference or as a resource from Islamic jurisprudence. The Afghan constitution is a good example. The Afghan constitution somehow recognized uh, Islamic Sharia as the main source of national legislation in its uh, Article 3. And it says there will not be, there should not be any other provision, any, any law in Afghanistan in opposite to the Islamic Sharia. It is very clear. It is important for a society, for a country to have its constitution. In the constitution, uh, since it forms the relation between individual and between the state, if there is provisions copied or somehow uh, extracted from Islamic jurisprudence supporting individuals' rights, human rights, uh, uh, individual in the individuality of punishment and crimes, all these provisions, that would be good, that would be great. It is very supportive because we are living in a modern time, in a very a modern situation and there is need for constitution. But again, this constitution should uh, recognize and reflect the real values, Islamic values, which are, should be very supportive for the individual rights, like the Afghan constitution. Afghan constitution is accessible through internet. If our colleagues want, they should go to Google and look to Afghan constitution, particularly Article 22, Article 59. Most of these articles somehow reflecting the individual's rights in other provisions and copied from a civil code, Islamic civil code, Mujalatul Adliya, and also from jurisprudence provisions, which I touched on that before. Wakan Ahmad says, My second question is on what is your understanding of the Quranic verse La Ikraha Fitin, roughly translating as, There is no compulsion in religion. Consider that ulama generally translate deen as a way of life and not just limited to religion. However, I have not heard scholars suggest for the verse to be extended beyond religion. For instance, Maududi says this verse reverts to against forced conversions, i.e. you cannot force Islam upon people, but not necessarily a way of life. It would be nice to get your understanding of this verse, especially the links, if any, to libertarian thought. Much appreciated. There is no compensation. There is no forcing uh, you know, measure to someone to force someone to enter to Islam because Islam recognizes a, a reason in a human mind. Everybody should think that the the word of the word of reason in mind mentioned in Quran forty eight times, equally to the to the word of nur of light. It means somehow, according to some scholars, that nur and light, as it's enlightening the human uh, way the reason also enlightening human way. We are not going to, to, to mobilize people for, for entering to Islam, just I wanted to say that there is the highest stage of reason in human mind in Islam, and no one should be forced to accept Islam. Wakas Ahmad follows up. I'm not sure if you answered my second question in its entirety. Is deen limited to religion or way of life in La Ikral Fidine? The word of deen, actually, it has a specific definition in Islamic uh, Sharia. It's, it's a very broad concept. We have deen, we have Sharia, we have fiqh, we have uh, some other... Deen was on ilahiyun sa'iqun lizawil uquli mahmudun bi ikhtiyarihim ilal khayri bizzat. 
This is a very common definition of deen. It says deen is uh, something adopted by God. And this is for the benefit of people who are obeying the deen or religion. For their benefit, for their wellness. This is a very broad definition of deen. In this case, exactly, the deen or religion, it came to, to the benefit of human society to improve the life of human and to take him away from bad things and to develop the style of life, the environment, the human life, etc. Uh, in this case, unfortunately, the Islamic jurists in the past, they only focused on the provisions, jurisprudence provisions of Islamic deen. Exactly, this is one of the aspects always sizing or always directing to Islamic jurists. They only focus on one of the aspects. They didn't focus too much other aspects of deen, which is God wanted or wants a human community to focus on that, to develop the life, to live in this world like there is, they never die, to work in this life, this world that uh, they never die. And they also look future to the another world as they are dying even right now. Uh, deen is very broader concept. It covers many aspects of the life of human community. Muhammad Amin says, could you say something about the freedom of Muslims to leave the religion? Leaving of religion is this somehow, as we have in other societies, rule of law. The Sharia provisions should be counted as the rule of law provisions in Islamic societies. As it is not allowed in any society to cross the rule of law, the articles of the law, the provisions of Allah, national legislation, etc. This is the same. Sharia as I mentioned at the beginning, it covers all aspects of life of individuals. Leaving of religion, leaving of Islam, it is totally prohibited in Islamic Sharia. In this aspect, we have two, as two we have to consider two aspects. One is judiciary system. Judiciary system in Islam looking to the appearance or the or the, the things appearing from an individual, like any act against Islam, insulting Islam acting against Islamic values, etc. In one is that the things belong to the theological part of an individual, to the belief she or he has. In this part, if a person individually or personally doesn't believe or he or she wanted to go out from Islam secretly without sharing his views front of judiciary or front of community, which is very dangerous, causing for very risk for she or he, it depends to he or she or his or her opinion or individual situation. According to the theological aspect of Sunni school of thought, particularly in Hanafi school, if someone crossing the red lines of Sharia in committing any sin, any wrongdoing in the society, it depends to God at the end of the time in another world. If he totally or she totally rejects Islam in saying, I'm not a Muslim anymore, it means he or she going out from the circle of Islam. This is prohibited. This is not acceptable according to Islamic Sharia. And Islamic Sharia has a focus subject on it by the name of political, political aspects of Sharia or asiyasatul sharia. And the reason is that this kind of action going out of Islam in an Islamic society, destroying the order, the common order of the society, one day a person going out, another day another person going out, and it, it, it will cause for destroying the order of the society. If we look to Quran, Quran says no one should be forced to enter to Islam. And also Quran says in one of the uh, very important surahs of Quran, calling to non-Muslims, you should obey your own religion, and I am obeying my own religion. I am not praying your religion, and you are not praying my religion. Somehow like this. It means a total freedom of obeying or following any religion a person has in an Islamic society. Without harming other religion without without disturbing others but it is very controversial topic if a muslim in an islamic society changing his religion or her religion according to islamic point of view he or she should be punished 
for women. There is no execution, but for men, there is an opportunity for three days, according to some opinion of Islamic jurists, allowing a person to come back to Islam. This is very controversial, and this is not a common thing. This is not happening every day. It's very, uh, very, very, very uh, seldom that, that sometimes some person changing the opinion. Let's back and think ideal Islamic society, how we can promote free society values in an Islamic society, which is very important from our opinion. Going out from Islam is, is not so important thing and so common thing in an Islamic society. Linda Whetstone says, thank you for your excellent presentation. It seems sad and dangerous that so many in the West do not understand or believe in this compatibility between Sharia and a free society, and many Muslims seem to prefer to live lives which are much more controlled by the authorities. Could you comment on this? Thank you so much, uh, uh, Ms. Linda. Thank you so much for your great support and close engagement with Istanbul Network for Free Society. I appreciate your words you mentioned regarding existence of this kind of compatible points in Islamic Sharia. Uh, I think it's important, unfortunately, uh, that local knowledge of people or lack of uh, their access to some references may be cause for a kind of misunderstanding in Western societies about Islamic values that promote free society values. But still, it needs it need more uh, active engagement to enhance this knowledge to enhance uh, or to create more uh, resources in this regard. Our book, which published through your support of the Foundation of Free Society in Islam, that plays a very significant role in our society in Afghanistan, particularly for the young generation. I am very thankful and grateful for great scholars who took part by sharing their articles in this book. And we translated that book in Dari version, and we are going to translate that in Pashto too, which uh, uh, playing a very good and positive role in our society. Uh, thank you so much, um, Ramiz Poor. Uh, thank you so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for joining this very engaging uh, webinar. Uh, I'm sure that, like me, all of you have enjoyed uh, the presentation by, by Ramiz Poor. Uh, please take care and uh, have a good evening or good morning, good afternoon, depending on your time zone. Uh, goodbye for now. This webinar is brought to you by Islamic Liberty Network. If you are looking for more, you can find it on our website at islamilibertynetwork.org. And if you want to help us, there is a donation button on the site. Thank you for your support, and we hope you found it interesting.